بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على المستفى الحمد لله منشي الخلق من عدم ثم الصلاة على المختار في القدم مولا يصلي وسلم دائما أبدا على حبيبك خير الخلق كله My most respected friends In the month of Rabi al-Awwal As we have been discussing thus far I'm sure not just from this platform But many platforms across the world The discussion of the birth, the life And the ultimate passing of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam which occurred in the month of Rabi'ul Awwal, this particular month. Also the migration and the hijrah of Rasulullah which from a historical point of view and from a spiritual point of view is a very significant period for us Muslims, not only in the continuation of our calendar, but the very act and the very amal of hijrah, leaving, migrating, what a person now concerns and considers to be a source of fear for their iman and safety and going towards a place which will now yield as a Muslim well alhamdulillah the hijrah is a reminder of that and this occurs in the month of Rabi'ul Awwal but you know what something else also occurs in the month of Rabi'ul Awwal just after Rasulullah temporary company of this world and that is the appointment of the first Khalifa the first vicegerent of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. You know, I'm going to use an example here. And in reality, there is no example that can equal and can now be succinct enough to actually summarize Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and his companions. But for the purposes of just understanding it a little bit, think of it like this. A father has trained his son, sons very well. And he's around, he's in the background, he hasn't disappeared from the world as yet. He may be taking it slightly easier than what he did compared to when he was a younger man. He may be going on his trips, he may be coming to shop late, maybe leaving slightly early. But he's around, he's in the background, he hasn't disappeared anywhere from the picture. So the children are there, the boys are there. And they are now managing the enterprise and they're increasing it and they, you know, they're putting different lines and they're putting different avenues and they're they're branching it out in different ways. And he, from an observance point of view, is, you know, pleased at the progress where it was and where it's going. But when will be the real test of responsibility when he's no longer there? When he leave alone clocking in at 9, 10 o'clock, he's not going to clock in at all simply because he has checked out of this world. He's deceased. He's inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. He appears on the WhatsApp messages. He's buried. He's gone. Now... That's the test for those who are left behind. The boys, they are no longer, he's no longer around to educate, to dictate, to say anything, to correct them, even to advise them for that matter. Assuming he handed over the reins, but he still would be assumed to be in an advisory position. They run that enterprise correctly. Now the community can sit back and those who saw them grow up and saw the training that was administered to them by the father and the grandfather, well, they can now sit back and say, you know what, this man did his job. This man here did his responsibility by way of training them in that particular field. Of course, it may not be a reflection on their character, on their deed, that's another story. But regarding the management of their particular enterprise, it has now appeared in the deceased messages. Now the, can the community say for sure, how has the training of that individual been done? In the case of this ummah of Rasulullah the work of the Nabi of Allah has been summarized in the Quran. Wherein Allah says, the Nabi has come to you. 
that he recites for you ayati, the messages or, or, or the ayats of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَيُعَلِّمُهُمْ And he teaches you the kitab, the book of Allah, the Qur'an, وَالْحِكْمَةِ And wisdom, وَيُزَكِّيهِمْ And he now, in addition to that, purifies them. Purifies them by way of sohbah and companionship. He purifies them by way of direction. He purifies them by way of what you're supposed to be thinking as a Muslim and how you're supposed to be conducting yourself as a Muslim. In other words, the Nabi is a complete package unto you and he doesn't just do one particular action of teaching you the kalima, but he now governs, alhamdulillah, or gives you a governance of your entire life. When the Nabi of Allah was on the plains of Arafah, and when he asked his companions, those that had gathered, and he questioned them, that have I conveyed the message? And when they responded in the positive, yes, yes, we are willing to testify, what they were meaning by that positive answer was this, that you didn't just teach us the kalima, taught us a complete way of life. As instructed to you by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you taught us ayati, the, the, the ayats of Allah. You taught us the kitab, the meaning of the kitab, the Quran. You taught us hikmah, your sunnah, your way of life, the implementation of our deen. That's the hikmah, that is the wisdom. And at the same time, you showed us avenues of purification. How does a person purify their mind and their thoughts? How does a person purify their intention? How does a person cultivate such good characteristics like patience, like forbearance, like all those good, good things that will now lead to ultimate salvation? This is now what is meant where Rasulullah asked them that have I now conveyed to you? It wasn't a simple one word answer. They knew that very well. So when they said yes, they were now implying that oh, message, we testify that you had given us the complete package that we would require to live in and ultimately claim our paradise at the end, our Jannah at the end. Now, when does the test that whether these or this community, this ummah, has in fact positively responded to the message of Rasulullah when would it be? It would be when Rasulullah was no longer around. When the news now permeates into Madinatul Munawwara, that your Nabi has made parda and is no longer around in this world. And such was the grief of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum that a particular visitor, Dhuayb al-Hudayli, he says that I came a little while after the passing of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa And the way he describes the mood in Medina, wherein he says, Sami'atu dajij, he says that I heard like a hum of sorrow, and he uses the description like people who are in hajj. Like when people are in a state of ihram and somebody's making labbaig and somebody's in Arafat making tawbah, how you hear that hum all around you? There's no shouting, there's no screaming, nobody's uncontrollable whatsoever. But wherever you go to whichever camp, the tens of thousands, the multitude of people who have come for hajj, you can hear that constant buzz of dua, of crying, of, of you know, a, a person 
attempting to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he uses this description to describe the grief that was expressed by the Sahaba radiallahu anhum at the passing of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And why wouldn't they? Who would not grieve the passing of the very best? Even if a single moment in the company of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa it would have been enough for that person to become more than a lover of Rasulullah, or more than a lover of anybody else, even that Bedouin. And Bedouins were noted for their hard-hearted attitude towards life and people in general. When he comes to the masjid, and in one narration he makes salat, know that you're not allowed to respond to salam, you know, the prohibition of talking in Salah had already been revealed. Later on called him. Other people in Salah, somebody by clapping their hands, somebody by just shaking around to give him the message, hey, you're not supposed to talk in Salah, it's prohibited. Nobody's answering him, obviously, to break their own Salah. Thereafter, Rasulullah calls him and says, that our salah over here is for the dhikr, the remembrance of Allah. You are not allowed to talk, you're not allowed to do this. How does he express his love for Rasulullah? Allahumma gfir, O Allah, forgive me, forgive Muhammad, don't forgive anybody else. Forgive me and him, only me and him. Now this was his simplistic way of showing that I am so appreciative of your company, O Messenger of Allah, and your will and your ability to explain to me in an absolutely unique way. A jahil and ignorant person comes and he now urinates in the corner of the masjid. He's a Muslim. He's a companion of Rasulullah but he is jahil and ignorant in the sense of the adab and the etiquette of the masjid. He does not know masjid. Everybody else is after him. Rasulullah says, Dahu, leave him. He is in a separate category of not knowing. We will call and explain to him later. The impurity we can wash away, but the heart of the person we cannot, after it's broken, is very difficult to mend. And like our ceramics, china ware, you smash it into a thousand pieces. I'm sure there's some professional by now who you pay him or pay her or pay the company a decent amount. They can get the thing together, maybe with a fine visible crack line or something inside there, but you to a point of it being used. But up until now, Nobody has mastered the healing or the proper healing of a broken heart. That, that doesn't happen. Rasulullah knew this here very well. That rather we deal with the washing away whatever impure, allowing the person to leave at least at the point that he will return because the correct etiquette has been explained to him. Now this was the memory that the Sahaba radiallahu had of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa The master absolute grief in the community from the eldest even even it is mentioned that the munafiqun and the hypocrites who otherwise would be gleeful and happy at every calamity that befell the muslims because they were cloak and dagger they were not to begin with they too were thrown in with the grief that sachinatul manawwar it became a moment of grief obviously so you know who stands up at that time? Who now rallies the community together? Abu Bakr one was out of the town when the news of Rasulullah's passing away reaches him. And he mentions himself with these words, that my back is broken, thinking to himself, which was an expression that was used at that time, that my back is broken, move. 
But then he thought to himself, Allah Ta'ala gave him tawfiq, that if anybody is going to rally around anybody else for the sake of the deen, it's going to be Abu Bakr, Madinatul Munawwara. He sees the community that is in an absolute disarray with grief at that time, and it is rightful that they be in that particular way. Uthman radiallahu unable to speak. Omar radiallahu an making statements that he's only gone for a while, he's going to come back. We hear that sometimes at the times of funerals or whatever the case may be. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant everybody tawfiq to obviously control themselves and grieve within the sunnah way. But unfortunately, sometimes words are heard in the case of Umar radiallahu one. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu tells him, Ijlis, sit down, O Umar. That understandably, you are aggrieved like everybody else, but right now is not your time. Right now is the time for you to sit down. And the most beloved at that time, the Siddiq at that time, the closest to Rasulullah How do we know that a person is worthy? That when everything else is now crumbling around them, they are the ones to stand up with the reins. Noting that bigger than anybody else is the mission of the Prophet is the mission of deen for people who are coming centuries later, who live in a parts of the world that deen is, is far away from Madinatul Munawwara, who live many, many miles from here. He understands that and he tells the people very calmly and collectively that listen here, Man kana ya'budu Muhammada. Those people who worship Muhammad. Those people who worship Muhammad. They know this very well that Muhammad has passed away. And those people, man kana ya'budu Allah who worshiped Allah. They know very well, inna Allah ta'ala hayyun la yamut. Know very well Allah is ever living, he'll never die. Know this here very well. The Sahaba radiallahu says that when he started speaking, like this, it is as if the first time we heard it. They all knew, they all were schooled and trained in that particular aqaid. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about it umpteen number of times. It is mentioned in the Quran Kareem that, you know, imata or qutila, that if Muhammad passes away or he is shaheed in the battlefield, alluding to the fact that you are, your time is now going to come for you to make parada from this world, for you to rest in your qabr and you're not going to be physically around them any longer. You, that, that that is obviously the time is going to come. But when Abu Bakr radiallahu started reciting those ayahs, it was as if some of them said it was for the first time we heard it. Although we would consistently hear it in salah, it was as if the first time we had ever heard it. What is Abu Bakr radiallahu displaying right now? Genuine leadership that is concerned about rallying people that is concerned about cementing the you know, people to a point that all of them continue to stand on a single platform, that they use their skills and their ability for the sake of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is the ultimate objective. Who's the example of it? Abu Bakr radiallahu anh. Thereafter, within a few days, a deliberation takes place. And it is quite a detailed deliberation on its own, known as the incident of but at the end of it and at the conclusion of it, the ummah is unanimous on that point that the person who is in charge by way of being the vicegerent of the messenger, they know that there will never be another Nabi. 
Rasulullah is the seal of prophethood. Now has left a mission. And every ummati is a khalifa, is a vicegerent in their own way. But they will obviously have to be one particular person around whom everybody will rally. They were unanimous that it was Abu Bakr radiallahu anh. And now comes the time that Abu Bakr radiallahu anh has to address the people for the first time. Of his first address and his first khutbah, we would say, the first khutbah of Abu Bakr radiallahu anh was only 55 words. According to the longest possible narration about that khutbah, only 55 words before he sits down. 55 words summarizes his entire mission and the continuity of the mission of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He opens up his statement by this, like this by saying, that I have been appointed in charge of you, but I'm not your best. Everybody knows he is the best. Everybody knows that there could be nobody better than Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. But the very fact that he is saying that I am not the best is the expression of his personal humility. That there are other people who I've even said that should be Khalifa ahead of me. I nominated Umar. I nominated Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah. These were two people nominated by Abu Bakr radiallahu anh, who initially said, no, I'm not going to be the Khalifa. Abu Ubaidah should be so. He is Aminu Hadil Ummah, the trustworthy one of this Ummah. Nobody can do a better job than him. But the people said, no, you owe Abu Bakr radiallahu anh. Abu Ubaidah listens to you, everybody listens to you. Although you're a soft man, you know there's a saying, right? It's a colloquial saying, it wasn't from the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's a more of a recent type of invention that speaks softly but carry a big stick. Speak softly but carry a big stick. What does that mean? It can be of course taken in different ways. But sometimes a person who is the most humble and the softest of speech, but because of the authority that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted them using that statement in our context, of course, because of the ability and the, and the authority that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has granted them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them respect even though their words are few and they are the quietest of all. If ever there was an example, was Abu Bakr radiallahu anh. But nobody knew or nobody mistook his quietness for his bravery. Because in that very first khutbah, he shows his bravery. Wherein he says that the person who is weak amongst you, in, in, in thee, according to me, will always be strong until I ensure that his rights are fulfilled. He speaks about the rights of the ibad, the rights of the servants of Allah. That you live in a community wherein there's an exchange of rights between the rich and the poor, between the, the employer and the employee, between the husband and the wife, between the child and the parent. There's an exchange of rights. A person who you may assume to be weak, and you may be considered to be suppressed in a relationship or in a community. I consider that person to be strong. And in the sense that I will ensure that his rights or her rights are fulfilled. And that person who you consider to be strong, I will consider to be weak until there's assurance that that individual has fulfilled their rights. So this is my understanding of people as a leader. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu says. Then he advises them, La tashi'ul fahisha, that never ever does immodesty 
spread inside an ummah except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will afflict them with calamities. Now look at this, who is he addressing? He's addressing the most chaste community that ever lived in the history of mankind. The Sahaba radiallahu anhu. Yes, there were incidences amongst them, but as a whole and as an entirety, never ever was hijab observed ever in the history of the ummah than at the time that Abu Bakr radiallahu anh is addressing the community and the ummah at large. Never was chastity and morality at the highest possible level that it could ever be, just at the time of the parting of Rasulullah But he still goes ahead and reminds them, that never ever allow indecency, fahisha, to knock on the door. And remember, fahisha is not simply zina and adultery. Everything that zina and adultery, that where a person becomes comfortable with a person of the opposite gender that they are not supposed to have any business with, is a leading up and in fact an act of fahisha in its own right. Where a person sits in the hours of the night or the daytime, such pictures and such items, be it on their device or anywhere for that matter, is an act of fahisha. It is an act of indecency. Where a person sits amongst friends and uses vulgarity and describes this and describes that all in the name of entertainment. Because you know what? This is how men speak. This is how ladies when they are alone speak. It is fahisha, it is indecency, it is immorality. He cautions against al-fahisha collectively. Wherein he says, never ever does it reach an ummah. Never does it reach a community. Except the tamma, the time for that community comes close that they will be destroyed. They could be sitting on high palaces. They could be locked up. They could be in lofty towers. Subhanahu wa ta'ala does not allow in this world to go unpunished. Then he speaks about jihad fi sabirillah. And he does it for a reason. He reminds the ummah that although you may not be engaged in jihad fi sabirillah at, at any particular time, fighting out in the path of Allah, continue discussing it, continue remaining and understanding that this is a juz and a portion of deen, wal jihadu maadin ila yawmil qiyamah. And jihad will continue right till the end of time. Never shy away from it. Never fall into the bracket and, or, 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 of customary media that continues to say and continues to wish that the, the ummah must be absolved from certain practices. They'll start with one. They will not be satisfied with one. They'll come for hijab thereafter. They'll come for something else. They'll come for your Muslim identity. Even if a person is not engaged in any aspect of deen, jealously defend it. Even if a person is not a five times musalli, jealously defend the right of a person to come to the house of Allah five times a day. It may happen. It happened a number of times. Person is in a company working for some corporate. One particular Muslim worker wishes to go to the masjid. Now the other two or three there are not frequenters of salah. You know, they lawama time. All of a sudden the boss says, you know what, these three, four, five guys over here, they don't seem so... Uh, you know, enthusiastic about Zor Salah, whatever you're telling me, like these people, how come you enthusiastic, you people here seem to be hanging around the shawama, dead and catching and what, what have you, even then, even if you happen to be of that gang, who's not going for Salah, do yourself a favor, 
defend the right to go for salah. Yes, he is right, we are wrong. Our turn will come, inshallah. Our turn, but he, whatever demand, whatever request he's making is an absolutely legitimate one. We are standing by him. You know, these type of statements and these type of attitudes sometimes become the catalyst for a person's hidayat and guidance in their own right. That way a person says, you know, I wasn't a practicing Muslim. But at one time, at one point, I stood up for a fundamental practice of deeds. That was the changing pivot in my life that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made me realize that to what extent am I enthusiastic about my own deen if this person can do, alhamdulillah, much more better than me. Abu Bakr radiallahu reminds them of jihad fi sabirillah, striving in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And amongst the last instructions he gives that you see the army of Usama bin Zaid radiallahu anhu. Prior to Rasulullah making parada from this world, he prepared one of the largest armies and groups of come out of Medina by a very young Sahabi, Usama bin Zaid, Hibbu Hibbi Rasulullah, the beloved of the beloved of Rasulullah, the son of Zaid bin Harisa, the adopted. And even when people objected, Rasulullah in the Maradul Wafat continued to say that why against Usama? If you objected against him, then you, you also objected against his father. But you make sure that the army of Usama bin Zaid goes out. Abu Bakr radiallahu realized that this is what wants. And he wants it for a reason. Others tell him that no, strategically it might not be the right way to go. That other people are here of attacking Medina, noting that, you know, Rasulullah has passed away. We are in a vulnerable type of position. Abu Bakr radiallahu says, no, this was the last instruction of our master. And when he leads Usama bin Zaid radiallahu an out of Medina to Munawwara, first of all, the next day, that all those people, Mankara fi Askari Usama, all those people who were in the army of Usama bin Zaid, they should get ready, leave their homes and leave now. Do not worry about anything else, you leave now. This is the instruction from Abu Bakr radiallahu anh. And he meets Usama bin Zaid outside. He advises him. But you know, Usama, first of all, Usama tells him that, Ya Khalifa Rasulullah, that I'm riding, you are walking. Why don't you now, why don't we switch positions? Abu Bakr radiallahu tells him, abdin, The feet of a person get dusty out in the path of Allah, except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes the fire of Jahannam haram for that person. I wish to walk with you while, and the dust is part of my benefit that's going to come onto me. Then he tells him, Usama, do not cut down a tree, do not kill an old woman, do not kill a child, do not kill a person that has secluded themselves in their prayer mantle. In other words, you do not kill an animal, it's for the purposes of food. Do not take from the people. He gives him the advice of a Muslim soldier and Rasulullah has only passed away a few days ago. What does this show us? The will and the decree of a leader. That he was focused on work itself. He was focused upon how to deliver that work for the ummah. And this is how every vicegerent of Rasulullah must behave. That you focus on the work, 
Was he focused on the noise, the external noise that was all around him, what the enemy was doing, what China was doing, what the Romans were doing? What is the work at hand right now in Medina Tul Munawwara? That's what made a genuine leader, and that leader, Abu Bakr radiallahu an, wherein we can all take a practical lesson from in every department of our life. If a person is not focusing on work, they potentially will become a hazard to everybody, including their own self. So it is the design of a believer to focus upon what you are saying right now and to shut out all the other noise that now tables and distracts from the actual work of a believer. A father is a khalifa in his own house by administering salah and the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ensuring proper dress codes are observed by all those under his care. A business person, a person who would even two ran in his pocket, is also a khalifa of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa by ensuring that my money is spent wisely and is earned in a halal way and there is no doubtful income inside, you know, whatever comes my way. A person is a vicegerent of Rasulullah sallallahu in every moment and in every department of his life. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us tawfiq. I'll conclude upon this one point. When Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu was asked, what do you miss of Rasulullah's times? You know what he responded? You know what he responded? The end of wahi, inqita'ul wahi, and the absence of the kalam and the speech of Allah. Look at his statement that of all, all the things we miss in the time of Rasulullah and when he was around and when he was amongst us was the communication that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used to give this ummah which is unique to this ummah. The other ummah had to go to a mountain, had to go here before the revelation came upon them. But where did the revelation come upon Rasulullah whilst he was amongst his companions? Sometimes amongst them in the path of Allah, sometimes at home. He says that that is what I missed, or missed the most, because that wahi has come to an end, that revelation has come to an end. But that communication was what made this ummah unique. But you know what? It's still unique. The Quran hasn't disappeared. The Quran is still there on the shelf, in the heart, but individual to respond by reading the kitab. It is up to the individual to respond that you miss wahi and revelation may not be coming down, but whatever has come down by way of the complete book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it, it is complete. should by all means recite, read, understand, make amal in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Grant us tawfiq. Wa